G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. It's one or the other. It's either or, and you cannot be both. I've just got some introductory um, comments. Over the last month or two, uh, we've journeyed, haven't we? And we've come to the end of our journey now through 1 Peter. Uh, Peter's letter to, what did uh, the opening verse say? To God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. So over the past month or two, Peter has painted for us a portrait of the Christian life in the real world. Isn't that what we've seen? The Christian life in the real world ahead of the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ over these past couple of months. Uh, the, The world, as Peter's painted it for us, has been a place, how would you describe it, of quiet tragedy. For he has painted it as it actually is, flawed and hard and hostile even, at times even hostile toward all that is good and lovely and right. You may suffer, Christian, not because you've done anything wrong, I mean you might suffer because you've done something wrong as well and I suppose in a sense you deserve that, that's what Peter says, but no, you may suffer, Christian, not because you've done anything wrong, but even when you've done right. Indeed, you might well suffer when you haven't done anything particularly good or bad, but merely as you bear the name of Christ in your life. You will suffer. The world is cruel, but it's not without hope either. That's also what we've seen through uh, Peter's letter, God's Word to us, but humanly authored by Peter. Uh, The world is cruel, but it's not without hope, for as we bear the name of Christ... Actively in this world, that is, at our best, someone might just see in us a God who would live for them and die for them and suffer unjustly rather than retaliate, might yet count them precious and worth suffering for and chosen and valued. Isn't that the gospel that we found in Jesus? Isn't that the gospel that we hope people see actively expressed and lived in us as we suffer, as we bear the name of Christ in this cold and hard and cruel world. And so, by God's grace, they may come to share our hope, our hope in God and certainly not in our world, our confidence in Him, which is not a confidence in ourselves, and a future, might come to share with us a future that breathes the air of joy back into our world-weary lungs at times. Do you remember 1 Peter so far? Does that ring some bells? Now, Peter, chapter 5, moves towards a conclusion. Um, And I'd like us to just notice one feature together before we dive into the the waters of this uh, text together or before we pray and do that. And it's this, make no mistake, Christian, there can be no bet each way. It's not uh, both ends. We cannot sit on the cosmic fence. It's one or the other. It's either or. It's not going to be both and. Either we are, what's the text say? Either we are devoured by the devil or we have a share in the chief shepherd. So verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Or, verse 8, 
halfway through, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, from one point of view, I think the Christian life at times can look decidedly undramatic, uninteresting, not much going on there, unremarkable, and perhaps from one point of view, it is, in a sense, but make no mistake, Peter is saying, as you live in a world opposed to Christ, needing to see Christ in us, needing to find Christ for themselves through the precious word of the gospel, which is hopefully expressed in us, in word and deed, something profound is playing itself out. There's more going on than meets the eye. Will we be devoured by the devil or find our share in the shepherd? That's what's at stake each day, I think Peter's saying. Here at church, certainly, but just in our homes, you know, at work, uh, when we're tired and the kids are at us, when we're tired and our parents are at us, when we're scared about what lies ahead and, and want to take control, wish we could take control, perhaps awkwardly or sinfully express that by getting angry about things or through our wiliness and who, what we can manipulate along, devoured by the devil or a share in the Saviour. Um, J. Douglas Macmillan was a Scottish minister some years ago, but he grew up on the land. Uh, in fact, he was a shepherd and he learned that from his dad and he says this, he says, everyone who wants to live a Christian life has to face this. You are no longer going to be your own man or your own woman, your own boy or girl. You are going to belong, every bit of you, to someone else. You are going to be a sheep who has a shepherd and it is time that Christians began to realise that. You're either for Christ and altogether His, or you have nothing to do with Him. Jesus does not soften that down in any way. Let's pray as we come to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you first of all that we don't need to make ourselves fit to be your sheep, to belong to your flock through our actions or through our uh, likability or through our efforts or through our striving. No, like the first recipients of this very letter, elect, chosen by God, called by you in the gospel. We thank you that the message of Jesus is that we are received because you love us and not because we are so lovely. So would you teach us this morning, O oh God, to live as his sheep, as yours? Uh, not a flattering image perhaps, sheep, but fitting nonetheless. Would you please humble us this morning and quiet our arrogance and our pride and teach us to hear his voice? the chief shepherd, in this word this morning. Father, we confess that uh, much of the cold and hard and dark world doesn't just live around about us, there's a sense in which it still lives within us. Would you please bring us again to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, his ways for us and also his care, his pattern for us, but also his protection and his promise in the power of your spirit, please. Amen. Conscious Mike, uh, John, that I'm sort of rustling. I'm just going to, maybe that's all it is. We'll see. 
Um, could we just have this as a starting point? So uh, Peter saw something in the death of Jesus that changed how he saw his life forever after. Right? Peter saw something in the death of Jesus that changed how he saw his life forever after. And my question, the question I believe for us is, will it change the way we see our lives? Um, should we just switch to this mic, John? Let's do that. Yeah, that rustling was annoying me. It was probably annoying you, wasn't it? Peter saw something in the suffering and death of Jesus that changed how he saw his own life in the world. Um, has that happened for you? Is that, has that been your experience? Has Christ's death changed the shape of your life somehow? How and why you live as you do, the man or woman, the boy or girl that you are today and intend to be until the day that Jesus returns in glory with his holy angels. Peter lived in a world, yes, that was messy, that was harsh and was hostile, that seemed to, at least in the way he describes it in this letter, strangle the life and the hope out of these Christians who are far from home, far from home spiritually and perhaps physically as well. And yet Peter, in the suffering and death and the glories of Jesus, Peter found peace in this world, under the care of his shepherd. And he wanted Christians to share that and know that peace as well. He found a life that meant something paved out before him as he devoted himself to following in the footsteps of this suffering saviour. And he wants us to find that for ourselves in our journey. I mean, he seems to retain, I think, a clear-headed and yet a warm-hearted walk even through the rocky and the boggy distresses of our real world and he wants us to share that head and that heart and that hope with him. I, I sum up the life of a sheep, <laughs> it's a funny metaphor isn't it, it sounds a bit insulting from the start but I think we'll see it's actually a wonderful metaphor when we see that he's a shepherd to us. I sum up the life of a sheep under these three headings, that's going to be our structure for today, three headings uh, from this passage at least, the life of a sheep is to be characterised by three things, willing self-giving, considered self-denial and alert anticipation, willing self-giving considered self-denial and alert anticipation. I think those are the three traits. But I want to urge us to see that what Peter's doing here, he's not just giving us a job to do, commanding us of some a, a, a few laws that he holds for a Christian life. We've got to see this in the context of the whole word of God to us in 1 Peter across the letter. It's summing up a whole letter, isn't it? Bringing that letter to a conclusion. If the world around us cannot see our Christ in us, cannot see our shepherd among the sheep, among the flock, characterised in his sheep, then how can they ever discover his care for them too, this hard and hostile world? They need to be able to discern the word of truth, the living and enduring word of God that has given us life, the word that was preached to us. So firstly, willing self-giving. And Peter initially, he turns, doesn't he, to the elders, first of all, in chapter 5, verse 1, to the elders, to the leaders, to the most senior among the churches uh, receiving this letter. Has what happened to Christ changed their lives? Has it? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, 
watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Have you ever thought about this, what a different gospel we would have? I like to flip these things around, you know. What what a different gospel we would have, what a different God we would serve. uh, uh, What does it say there? If Christ suffered, yes, but unwillingly. Against his will. Uh, Not because he was willing, but because he must somehow. He was forced to it. Uh, somehow saved us, yes, but only reluctantly. If that was the character of Christ's chief shepherding over us, what a different God if Jesus, uh, verse 2, had no desire to serve anyone. Uh, He was in it for his own gain. Again, verse 2, for how much he could squeeze out of life for himself. What a different story the life of Jesus would be then. If church for Jesus was a matter of how much he could wring out of those stupid little sheep each week. If his successful church service, a successful Sunday morning for Jesus, was based on how little he had to do. How little he could get away with giving of himself. What a different gospel we would have. What different hearts we would have if our Lord, verse 3, lorded it over us, cared not for us at all, meant and intended never to share his glory with anyone, thanks very much, cared nothing if we did indeed just fade away into oblivion. Friends, I wonder, in the way that we carry ourselves here at church, in the way that we treat one another, will my friends outside of church, will your friends outside of church, see in us that we believe in a shepherd who suffered for the sheep he loves? serves the flock that he lived for, is delighted to share glory with the ones for whom he died. Will they? Then show it. Won't you? In the way that you lead here at church. For if we will not lead this way at church, where the story of the gospel is ever before us, (laughs) well, we're not really going to lead that way anywhere else in life, are we? I I wonder if that's perhaps the logic by which we sort of extend it out into our family life, into our work life, into wherever else we carry authority or um, exercise power. So elders and uh, ministry leaders even and and deacons and myself included as a minister, willingly. Do I need to pause there for a moment? Willingly. When we lose sight of Christ, I think Peter's suggesting here, what starts to creep in to replace willingness? Because you must. What creeps in? Is it resentment, perhaps? Or or entitlement? sense that you deserve the position that you're in, a sense of deserving. I shouldn't have to do this. Why do I have to do this? Why can't they just? 
What a different gospel we would have if that were Christ's posture and attitude and motivation. No, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. God has placed them under your care, under my care, under our care. Do you realise that? Do we realise? Do we remember that? I think sometimes I forget a little bit. Not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Why do you serve here at church? And it might be in a very small role indeed. It might barely even be called leadership in a sense. Why do you serve? Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And of course, in that last phrase, the idea is that Christian leaders uh, aren't to be different from every other Christian in the, in the pews, the rank and file members, as you might say. The idea isn't that Christian leaders should be different to every other Christian. No, it, it can't be that because be examples to the flock. In other words, examples to follow. I think the idea is that Christian leaders, that we, brothers and sisters, would remind Christ's own sheep as they look at us, as they see us experience our leadership in whatever capacity it happens to be, our care, our watching over them, would, that we would remind Christ's own sheep that they are his flock in the character of a leading, cared for by him, heading home to him together. And that he doesn't love them for how convenient they make his life. He loves them and serves them to save them and to seek their glorious good. What a, what a Lord we serve. What a chief shepherd. Is that our church, brothers and sisters? Secondly, and this is similar, considered self-denial. So firstly, willing self-giving to serve his sheep, but secondly, considered self-denial that knows that you, that we, together, we are all but sheep as well. All of us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Please read with me there. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And I think he's just using the older, younger dynamic, by the way, to refer to the congregation. They are the younger, so it's not just talking about young people, the youth of the congregation. It may have specific application to that. I'll come to that in a moment. But there are elders, uh, not that every older person necessarily is an elder in this sense, but every church elder serves to lead a church younger, who are ordinarily younger than the elders, but not all. Anyway, you see the point, don't you? Um, you who live under elders, whose dedicated leadership hopefully reminds you of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that will follow. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger... Submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, having said that, perhaps there is a particular message for the younger generations. Uh, because, isn't it the case, if we're a bit self-aware about this, um, often it's the younger ones, and I, I mean, young, even as young as you're in the youngest one in this room at the moment, able to pay attention to it, isn't it often the case that the younger ones have both the initiative 
um, to do things better and the energy to maybe actually just follow it through and get it done. Plus, uh, coupled with a little bit of a dose of youthful delusion that they're the first to have thought of it in the first place and that their idea hasn't been tried before and that it really is better, you know what I mean? It can be hard living and working and thriving, God willing, under the leadership of others. It can be hard. But as I said a couple of weeks ago at the combined service, for those of you who were there, and it was quite a number of us, which was really delightful, wasn't it? Uh, I said, I quoted this quote, if you want to go fast, then go alone. But if you want to go far, then go together. And I think Peter wants us to go far. He wants us to make it to the return of Christ. Peter wants to see Christians go far. Are we in it for the long haul? Is that expressed in our humility with one another? Now, uh, Karen Jobes, um, she points out something very interesting. Karen Jobes, the, the, uh, the uh, American academic who I've been uh, really delighted by as we, I've worked my way through 1 Peter in my own study, she points out something really interesting under this heading, which I hadn't really picked up. It's a little comment from church history, really. Uh, but I think it has bearing on our willingness or the willingness of a church to stick together. And I've, I found it quite encouraging, so I wanted to share it with you. She notices this. She says, even though the origins of the church in Northern Asia Minor is shrouded by our ignorance of its founders. All right, so the churches to which this letter was originally written, the churches of Northern Asia Minor, we don't know who started it, started well, most of them, most of them we don't know who started those churches, all right? We're ignorant of that. They don't have the big name celebrity kind of um, uh, uh, apostles and so forth who started most of those churches. We, by contrast, we know heaps about the church in Ephesus or Lystra or Derby or Rome or, or Corinth um, or wherever. Not so much about these ones. Right, we're a little bit ignorant. We're in the dark. Nevertheless, she says, this area became the cradle of Christian doctrine in the first four centuries of the church. What an extraordinary thing. This area became the cradle of Christian doctrine in the first four centuries of the church, hosting the great early councils. By the second century, right? so the 100s, by the second century, there were flourishing, well-established churches in the areas to which Peter wrote. Now, isn't that surprising, given the kind of world that Peter has painted as surrounding these Christians. Okay, so uh, well-established churches uh, flourishing in the areas to which Peter wrote. It is no stretch of the imagination to infer that these earliest Christians of Asia Minor took the Apostle Peter's message of consolation and encouragement to heart, rising to the challenge of leading the church through perilous times, generation after generation, with the humility, strength, and grace that only the Lord can supply. And my question to us is, will we do the same? We aren't a large church with a celebrity beginning, with a, a long history. Will we, what did she say there? Rise to the challenge of leading the church through perilous times, generation after generation, with the humility, strength and grace that only the Lord can supply. 
Now, I think we are, if we are to, you know, for the good of Hobart, for the good of the Eastern Shore here, uh, for the glory of Jesus, for the growth of his church, then let us clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. That's what it takes, part of what it takes. There will be times when your church leaders make dumb decisions. I don't mean bad, you know, awful, no, we'll just make dumb decisions. (laughs) And maybe with the benefit of hindsight, even they will be able to see it. There may be times when we might have done it differently, I might have done it differently to the way that the leaders did it. And by differently, what we mean is better. (laughs) more strategically, or at least we might have done the same thing, but we would have done it in such a way that there were just fewer hiccups, you know. Gosh, they, I mean, yes, but they, the way they went about it. There will be times, I'm quite sure, when we will hand responsibility to someone new and they go and change things. And they go and do it the way, it's not the way we've done it before. We've always done it a different, and there's fallout and it feels like we've forgotten what's important and we disagree with one another and perhaps we begin to get our backs up. All of you, says Peter, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because thirdly and finally, brothers and sisters, the well-being of the flock, it rests not with the sheep. And I include the leaders in that. Thirdly, no, wise sheep look not to one another in the end, but to the shepherd, the chief shepherd. Look to him, wait for him, anticipate what cannot yet be seen with the naked eye. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, could you read there with me? Where Peter calls us, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I look at verse 8 and I do wonder... Would you know if the devil were devouring you? It's such a dramatic image, isn't it, there in verse 8, halfway through. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you know when you're in danger of being devoured? My brothers and sisters, I think he's just saying this, isn't he? Behind every Christian's suffering for Christ, suffering for his name, for his gospel, in our striving to live for him, our Lord and our Saviour, our Shepherd, our God, stands this sinister temptation. Behind all of that, we will be tempted to deny our Lord and to live for another and it will probably come very likely in the tiniest of temptations, the likes of which we've already seen in this passage, to lead the flock, yes, but lovelessly and selfishly, and for what I can get out of it, and dishonestly or heartlessly, uh, to follow the human shepherds when we must, but minimally 
and reluctantly and causing a fair bit of friction along the way and making sure they know about it. Be alert and of sober mind, verse 8. Verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith, as in resist the devil. And notice there, Paul doesn't call on you, Christian, at least in this metaphor, to do battle with the devil himself, a roaring lion hungry to devour you as if you had what it takes. You're a sheep. Verse 10, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will make, uh, will himself, sorry, restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to conclude uh, not just our sermon today, but really our series with a little story. I wonder if I could share it with you and then we'll pray. The story comes from that bloke that I quoted at the start, J. Douglas Macmillan, and uh, it's from his younger days on the farm with his sheep. I think I've shared it with you once before, but it was a long time ago and hopefully you've forgotten the, the punchline. On our land, there was one particular mountain of about 1,500 feet. And from the top of that mountain, I could see every thistle. He's a Scotsman, you see. I used to go up there with a pair of powerful binoculars so that I could survey the whole area. I remember being up there once on an early summer morning when the lambs were getting big. We were troubled by hill foxes. He says in 1953, for example, we lost 300 lambs because of foxes. So I was out there early in the morning with binoculars, a 303 rifle and a shepherd's crook. I saw something that I had never seen before and have never forgotten since. Sitting on top of the hill, I could see a fox way down below me in the valley, working the sheep just as a dog works. You know how a dog wears the sheep, gathering them up, bunching them together, driving them and doing all these wonderful things. Well, he was a fox doing the very same thing way down below me. All the mothers were in a great state of trial trying to protect their lambs. The fox was actually trying to drive the sheep into a boggy place. He was wanting to get the lambs stuck down as they were getting big. I waited because this fox was working better than any collie I've ever seen, I waited a long time. And the sheep were all distressed and troubled. For them, the world was turning upside down and they had eyes only for the fox. Then when the time came and I could see the fox really going in for the kill, I did something very, very simple. I put two fingers in my mouth and I whistled and the fox was off like a shot. Now you see, he concludes... The shepherd's eye was on the sheep the whole time. He knew precisely what was happening and he had the ability in a moment to shield them from all danger and harm. How much more our shepherd? He never slumbers. He never sleeps. His eye is on you. He watches you for your good. I know them, Jesus said in John's Gospel. He knows the kind of person you are. He knows your circumstances and he will suit his grace to meet the very kind of person you are. Are you bad-tempered? Well, he will have a, a special way of dealing with you. Are you easily tempted? He will have a special way of dealing with you. Are you tempted by one particular sin? 
He will fit his shepherding of you to his knowledge of you. My sheep, I know them, Jesus said. So brothers and sisters, let's close with Peter's final words to those believers called by the Lord Jesus, elect of God, loved by the chief shepherd who suffered for them, died for them and has glories in store for them. We read this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ.